Welcome back to Core Conversations, a Core Logic podcast. I am your host, May Claire Bolton Smith, and I'm the Senior Leader of Research and Content Strategy with Core Logic. In this podcast, we'll have conversations with industry experts about key topics from housing affordability to the impacts of natural disasters on property. From February 14th through 18th, much of the U.S. experienced one of the coldest snaps on record. The National Weather Service reported frigid Arctic air and dangerously cold wind chills to persist in the Great Plains and Mississippi Valley. This storm was an unusually cold event, with more than one-sixth of the housing units in the country experiencing temperatures 40 degrees Fahrenheit below the average low temperature for that time. Texas was hit exceptionally hard. There's a number of reasons why the cold had such a significant impact on Texas, and that's what we want to talk about today. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a few minutes to send our thoughts out to those impacted by this storm. Even though CoreLogic is headquartered in California, more than 3,000 CoreLogic employees are based in Texas, so many of our colleagues have been personally impacted by this storm. Science and numbers are a great way to understand what happened, but those data points are people, and as such, we want to share a few stories. We were without power and heat continuously for the fourth largest snowfall at 6.4 inches, two of the top 10 coldest nights, lows of 7 and 8 degrees Fahrenheit, and the first ever wind chill warnings in the history of Austin, Texas. My family and I had power and water outages that spanned 12 continuous days, with electricity being out for up to 66 hours straight and water being out for over 96 hours. Uh, We had a water pipe burst over the bedroom, um, resulting in damage to the mattress. Uh, was completely soaked, so we drug it outside, and it turned out to be a king-size ice cube. I was supposed to move in on February 16th into my new home, but due to icy road conditions, the movers canceled. Then two days later, in the new house, the tankless water heater had a frozen pipe and filled the entire home with two inches of water, requiring new drywall, new hardwood floors, and new cabinets. In essence, I have to build my new home from scratch. The fire sprinkler pipes in my building burst, so not only was I without water for a week, I also got the pleasure of listening to fire alarms day in and day out. We lost power for about 55 hours and spent a lot of time going back and forth to the car to keep warm. We were just about to run out of uh, power there before the lights came back on. Okay, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex area and happened to be out of state when the deep freeze happened, but I was aware of the power outages. So I started keeping an eye on the back door through my ring doorbell camera and was actually able to see for sure the water coming out of my back door. I know many of these experiences have been experienced by so many others. There's speculation that this extreme weather event will be the largest insured loss in Texas's history, So today, I'm joined by Tom Larson, catastrophe risk expert and principal insurance solutions to deconstruct this storm and the impacts it's had. Tom, welcome to Core Conversations. Well, welcome to you, May Claire. Thank you for having me today. All right. So let's start by introducing you to our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your role here at CoreLogic? Well, thank you for that. Um, The role that I fill is... um, is a group called Catastrophe Modeler. Uh, as a child, I was fascinated with seeing pictures on television of damage from earthquakes and thought, what can we do to prevent that? Uh, my education is as an engineer, but I began my career as working with a company that develops models to help insurers, governments, private corporations 
understand what can happen so that they can better prepare and strengthen for themselves. So for all of it is really is a curiosity to better understand the world that we live in and try to make it better to prevent tragedies or recurrence of tragedies. I love that. And that's exactly why you are here with us today. So let's talk about this extreme weather event from a meteorological perspective. What happened? How did Texas get so cold? Well, the, okay, I'm, I'm not a meteorologist, so you, uh, we're going to stray a little bit. Um, what it, it's a breakdown. They, the, when you read the meteorology, they're going to tell you it's a breakdown of the, and a, a polar vortex. Normally, the cold weather, cold air is confined in the wintertime is confined to the North Pole. Occasionally, the winds and um, pressures break down and allow these cold jets of air to extend into the country. And so simultaneous to, we saw this big cold pulse going into the South Central US. There were other outbreaks throughout the world of this cold as it leaked from the North Pole. Um, mm. it, they happen occasionally. We get in Texas, it's uh, about a 10 to 20 year period that you see these extreme colds. What was distinct about this one was the severity of how cold it was and how long it lasted. Yeah. But the cold itself is, is not a surprise. Okay. So with climate change then, should we expect to see events like this occur more frequently and maybe even more extreme? The, the, the book is not completely written on the impacts of, of climate mm. change, but we certainly should expect more volatility. We are, we are okay. told that the weather should become more volatile. And what that means is that we should expect more instances of high heat, but also more instances of these types of cold. So the, as a you know, player trying to anticipate what should happen in the future, yes, events like this are probably likely to occur more frequently, even though right now we're not sure it, you know, what kind of frequency is this? Was this an end of days type of event or was this something that should be in our working drawer of we should survive? But we should expect more of these zero severe events. So can we deconstruct that a bit? Everyone knows that it got cold, but beyond that, there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about what caused the power and subsequent water, food, and gas crises? We we heard all these stories from our colleagues off the beginning of this episode of, of what they went through. What actually happened as a result of that cold? Well, you know, it's a great question. I think we need to step back a bit. Um, when we look at, at a catastrophe, the first thing you look at is the exposure. What is affected? You know, how much assets, how many people are affected? Then we want to, and for this event, we want to know what are the effects of the cold? Uh, what are the exacerbating factors? And boy, there are a lot of them with this. And, mm. you know, the end is, you know, you wanted to know is that what does that produce and where are we now? Um, for the exposure, you know, what is at risk? We, you know, that you, you defined an area of the, the shock factor, 40 degrees below the average expected. That's 23 million homes. It's about one, one on six of the homes in the U.S. So it's a very large portion of a very large country. It's, this mm -hmm. is a big event. Uh, we, can, can, we can refine that even more looking at building design factors. And there's a cohort within there of about 8 million that are really at high risk. Um, 
Now, what happens to a home when it's subjected to this extreme cold? Um, well, we know water pipes break. They can, and depending on their building design, they are subject to it. Water is perhaps the most insidious because it's a very expensive claim, uh, expensive to to um, adjust. Sure. But you also get the secondary effects when you have these big, uh, long uh, area, these long extended outages. You know, power uh, stoplights don't work, street lights don't work, and you know we have transit, we have snow and snow blockages in the roads. Um, the exacerbating factors is that there was a con big snowball of events that caused the electrical outage to be widespread. Uh, many of these were, they were natural. It was caused by the, the cold weather. Uh, many of them were set, they were human caused. They were part of mm -hmm. our practices of how we manage the electrical grid that will be changed in the future. They are, they, okay. at the time when they were set up, they did not realize that we had an extreme vulnerability to a consequence event like this. The net result was a tragedy of millions of homes being out for extended period of time. Uh, that made it even worse because you can't heat the house. It exacerbated and made the water pipe breakage more widespread. Um, the the follow-ups fact of you know no food, well, that's consequence of no electricity, the inability to access the infrastructure. Uh, and that's why as a planner, you try to stem the problem up at the outset, strengthen the buildings and strengthen the electrical grid. So that that is really interesting because there was such a knock-on effect of once the power went out and it got cold and homes got cold and pipes burst and then the led to the water crisis and and it just kind of perpetuated from there so my I, I have to say that my brain goes to I grew up in Canada and I'm used to extremely cold temperatures but the difference is the homes further north are designed for extremely cold temperatures. So what's different about the building stock in Texas that made it unable to deal with these temperatures? Buildings are um, designed under building codes. Every There's a building code that's mm -hmm. localized for every place in the most places in the world. Uh, yeah. these, the primary goal for a building code is life safety. We want to make sure that the home we are in does not collapse and injure the occupants. Uh, we build in extra safety factors, but every time we strengthen the home, it adds the expense. And remember, simultaneous, we have a, a housing shortage uh, that we do not want to add more expense. So there, there, it's a fine balance of how strong and resilient do we make these homes versus can we keep them affordable? Sure, um, yeah. What we're seeing when we compare a home in Dallas, Texas to a home in, in Canada is there are they, the home in, in Texas is not built to confine the heat and keep the heat within the home at the same level that that home in Canada is. It is you're in an area where there's there's a lot of high heat, um, but there's also you don't need as, as much. So the windows are not as well protected. The home, the walls are not as protected. There are a few de fewer details about plumbing, trying to keep the plumbing confined and plumbing insulated. Uh, not the intent to make them more vulnerable in, in Texas, but to make them good enough mm -hmm. and well, keeping that balancing that affordability and safety. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the affordability because that, that's something, you know, here at CoreLogic, that's really important to us as well, too, is understanding, you know, housing stocks across different regions. And, and that's something I, I think probably 
people hadn't necessarily thought about when they're thinking about why are homes designed this way. And you can't design a home for every climate and every hazard in every region because there would be all these monstrous um, costs of homes a- across everywhere. When So it really is that regional building code designed for what's most likely for that reason. Is that kind of true? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's for every peril. Oh, here we have cold, but the hurricane, the extreme winds, or the ground motions from earthquakes, every peril has its own design criteria that, again, is that tries to meet that balance. Yeah, and building a bunker is really expensive, so probably not the the top of everybody's list. So, okay, so as we heard off the top of this episode from from the stories we heard of what happened during this event, the majority of the damage from this extreme weather event really does seem to be water damage from burst pipes. I know that in other catastrophic events like hurricanes and floods, much of the flood damage is not insured without a separate flood insurance policy. I think specifically to Hurricane Harvey, also which impacted Texas incredibly hard, more than 70% of the damage from Hurricane Harvey was uninsured. So since most of this water damage is from pipes bursting, is this insured? Uh, yeah. First, I'd like to cap. Yeah, I'm not, I can't be an advisor to someone interpreting their own policy conditions. Sure. Yeah. But we can say that the co- insurance contract that most homeowners have in Texas is modeled after the standard fire insurance policy in, in the U.S. And in the standard fire, things that are uh, an accident, the you know water pipe bursts that are accidental and sudden mm-hmm. are generally covered. Okay. So that is different than rising water from a uh, from a uh, ocean, you know, a flood or a river, and it's different from leaks, persistent leaks. Those are the those are the responsibility of the homeowner to maintain their home. But sudden breaks are generally covered. So okay. we expect that uh, much of the damage that has occurred here will be insured because uh, if you have a mortgage in the U.S., you are required to have that standard fire policy, so you are covered. And most of the homes in the country have a mortgage, so most of the homes have insurance. There are a small cohort of of homeowners. Um, Unfortunately, some of them are more vulnerable, the uh, fixed income retirees that sometimes that have been shown that they drop their insurance. They would be vulnerable to having a break and not having it insured. Uh, so there, you can't. There are no blanket statement that they all will be there. Okay. We must be vigilant to make sure that everyone's uh, addressed. Okay. So advice to homeowners there really is to check your insurance policy, see what is covered, and and understand what's covered in events that may occur. So, I guess if we're we're thinking about this on the insured loss perspective, Tom, there have been some reports that have said this is going to be the greatest loss in Texas's history. Is that true? Um, and can you give any guidance on what an insured loss estimate may be for this event? Everyone's fascinated with this number. It is really difficult. Um, while I broke down, you know, I can identify the homes and we have the data, we can identify the, the at-risk homes. One critical factor of trying to estimate the claims is um, we're seeing is a loss is related to the electrical outage, persistent, how long was it, because that brought the cold into the house. And another aspect was, was the homeowner 
at home because were they able to avert damage uh. if they saw some leaks? But given that, we can look at some of the earlier estimates on uh, estimated claims from the carriers and, and try to respond. Um, those bounds, you know, worst damage, worst loss ever for Hurricane uh, for Texas. Uh, Hurricane Harvey, until now, Hurricane Harvey was the winner mm-hmm. with about $16 billion of personal lines, home uh, losses from the widespread flooding. Now, that was a fraction of the damage to homes because unlike this event, flooding, rising waters from uh, were not insured. But $16 billion losses. Um, it is likely that what we're looking at right now is somewhere between 300,000 and 500,000 claims uh, arising from homeowners claims coming from this event. Okay. And the estimating how bad the losses could be, it's anywhere from the average uh, water break, normal times of about $10,000. It seems to be trending higher. The damage seems to be a little bit higher from this one. Um, it is very likely that the losses will exceed the insured losses from Hurricane Harvey. It's very likely the losses will go higher than $15 billion just because of the number of claim counts and looking at the trend of the data that's available now for what the average losses were likely to be. But it's unlikely that the damage, because the insured losses will exceed the damage, you know, insured and uninsured from Harvey. That was about $80 billion. At this point, there's tremendous uncertainty and you can't refine the data a whole lot more as we're trying to focus right now on um, protecting lives and uh, getting people back to their lives. And then we'll start working on the numbers. Yeah. So a, a couple of things there, Tom, you you did use the terms insured loss and damage. I'd, I'd like to define those a little bit, um, as well as I think, you know, when you talked about Hurricane Harvey, and people often think of Hurricane Harvey as this huge number in terms of what the damage was. And can you just explain like, because a lot of that was uninsured, just kind of dive in a little bit to insured loss versus damage. Okay. Yeah. Thank you um, for calling me on that. Um, an event occurs, we get damage. Now that damage is that that's your home. That's you lost the equity. If you're an owner of that home, you lost that equity. Uh, and you want to, you know, how do you restore it? You can restore it with your own funds, you can borrow money, or you can have your, your insurer pay it back. If it's not insured, you you don't have the option of having your insurer restore it. You have to, um, it impacts the value of your home and you have to, to do that. So we, uh, we segregate those numbers and we discuss them differently because the insurer, you know, insurer wrote you a, as a promise to restore your property, but they, there are some aspects that they're not covered. Your mortgage issuer uh, offered you a loan and the collateral was your home. Mm-hmm. And now with your home damaged, your that collateral is impaired. And so now your mortgage uh, bank is interested in, in what happened to your house is can you restore it? Because you promised to keep that collateral in good shape as part of your loan. Uh, so it has some systemic effects. It is important to to look at all aspects of what really happened as we try to preserve the quality of lives of the people there and keep the our financial system sound. Yeah, thanks for that, Tom. I think I think that that's a really important clarification, and I'm glad you made that. So if we circle back a little bit, you, you said this number of at least $15 billion in insured loss from this extreme weather event. Um, you also did talk about Hurricane Harvey. And the thing with Hurricane Harvey is it was, I think, 70% uninsured losses. 
So can we just kind of talk about that again, just the comparison of Harvey, this massive number of damage on uninsured versus what we're looking at here from this extreme weather event? Well, let's invert those numbers. Um, Harvey, yeah, 30% of the damage was insured. Um, wow. You know, 100% minus the 70. Uh, for this event, we expect the insured to uh, insurance to cover 95% plus of the losses. The remainder is the deductibles that homeowners pay. And at this point, it's not possible to separate out, but we do know that there will be a, a number of homes that do not carry insurance. Okay. Uh, but we expect 90% plus of this to be covered by insurance. Okay. Thanks for that that clarification, because I think the differentiation between what happened in Hurricane Harvey and this event when it comes to losses and the overall damage is an important clarification, because there are so many news reports that says this is going to be the greatest loss in Texas history, and people are familiar with what this massive loss was from Hurricane Harvey, and just kind of putting this in perspective. So thank you for that clarification. So I, just to finish off today, I, I'd like to kind of look at the homeowner from a few perspectives. Um, is there anything homeowners can do to prepare themselves for another event like this? Is it something we're going to have to move towards building our homes better and different as the climate becomes more volatile? Just can you dive into that a little bit from a homeowner perspective and, and what can they do? You know, at this point, I'd like to introduce a new term called resilience. Mm -hmm. Resilience is discussed. It's our ability to bounce back. We can't control the frequency and severity of natural catastrophes, but what we, what is in our control is how fast we can get back, reestablish the normality of our lives. Now, that resilience, if we peek under the covers of resilience, there are home strengthening, and that is really important. And we are going to spend yeah. a lot more time on really understanding that. But the other part of it, it is, it's the community is how fast you build back. Um, one thing that came out of Hurricane Harvey was the amazing resilience that came out of that Texas event. Massive amounts of damage, yet the economy was able to rebound and start. Mm -hmm. Now, it's, it's complex. Um, what, what will we expect here is... Well, it is, it's still Texas, so that we think of sort of the same psyche. We expect a lot of that same rebuilding, but we all should aspire to that because it doesn't always, it doesn't always happen. And for us to be resilient, which is our goal, it's a noble goal, is, is we, have to, we are going to have to strengthen our homes. We have to be prepared. We also have to be, anticipate that things will happen, that will overwhelm us, but that we can get through them together. I love that, Tom, and I'm I'm so glad you introduced resilience. It it is one of my favorite words. And you you said that Texas was really good at bouncing back. And I have to say that at living here in California, as I saw all of these people without power and without water, I told so many of my friends that this is what it's gonna be like here after we have a major earthquake. You commented that Texas was really good at bouncing back. And I know from other disasters around the country and other parts of the country, places are not as good at bouncing back. What do you think made Texas so resilient and made them be able to bounce back so well? It's it's necessary to observe it because, you know, our on our venture, on our journey to try to get better, we need to be able to take note of things that are not as bad as they could have been. Yeah. Um, 
And yes, and you anticipate and optimistically, we would like to think that that would happen here. And what can we do to ensure that that happens here? We're still working on it. Uh, but it does begin personally is that what can I do to help? It really, it takes everyone to be able to restart, even those who are not damn directly affected by the event to work together, to be able to, to achieve that resilience that we aspire to. Yeah. I've, I've always said in, in the earthquake community in particular, that the number one thing you can do to prepare for an earthquake is believe it will happen. And I think for any natural disaster, and especially these climate disasters that are getting more impactful and more severe with climate change, just having the awareness that your home may be impacted by a climate disaster and knowing what to do to keep yourself and your family and your home safe. So I I do hope that people have found this to be helpful. So Tom, thank you so much for joining me today on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. It's been so great to have you here to share your perspective on this event. You are very welcome, May Claire. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. So for more information on the property market and the housing economy, please visit corelogic.com insights. And for information on impacts from catastrophic events like this extreme weather event, please visit hazardhq.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Rhea Tarakia, editor and sound engineer Romia Roman, and social media guru Mike Wojcik. And a special thanks to those who shared their stories for this episode. Jim Dunham, Mark Drollinger, Matt Carley, Amy Neslin, Tom Owens, and Core Conversations' own Rhea Tarakia and Mike Wojcik. Tune in next time for another Core Conversation.